Hello and welcome into the Gotta Be Saints podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Gotta. Join me each week as I tackle life's most important question. How do I become a saint? Today's episode is titled, Can We Just Talk Mental Health? I'm so excited for this episode as I have Liz Pestina and Anna Marie Ortiz with me. Both of them, great friends, great people, and mental health experts, in my opinion. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us. I will quickly uh, introduce them, and then we're going to get to our topic at hand. So first, uh, a bio on Anna. Anna completed her undergraduate degree at Franciscan University. Once again, another Franciscan student. We love to see it. And is currently finishing up her PhD. Yes, that's PhD, which means she's Dr. Ortiz to you, in clinical psychology at the University of Kentucky, go Wildcats, where her research and clinical work specializes in eating disorders. Anna is a dear friend, and when I moved to Kentucky, I forced her to be friends with me. I said, look, you have no choice, and she tried to get out of it and yet failed, and so here we are, still friends. Liz, on the other hand, is a licensed social worker in Ohio. She received her Bachelor of Arts in Psychology at the University of Dayton, a decent school, and her Master's in Social Work at the University of Tennessee. Volunteers, we're still really not sure what that means as a, uh, as a mascot, but we're okay with it. Liz completed her clinical internship during her graduate studies, working with adults and teens in an intensive outpatient program using the treatment Dialexia Behavioral Therapy. She currently works as a therapist with children and families. Did I say that word right? No, dialectical? How do I say it? Okay, sorry. The first time, you know, it's tough. Words are hard. Uh, Liz is the fiance of my good friend, Sean. She's also now my good friend, and she's a rock star. One of the nicest people you'll ever meet. Guys, I'm so excited to have both of you here today. Uh, Like I said at the start, it's two, in my opinion, experts on this topic, and it's a topic that we need to discuss. And so thank you once again for being here. So the first question that the three of us talked about this topic um, at length, and of course, there's so many different ways we could go about it. But I think the first question to ask is just looking at mental health. And to so many people, it's seen as taboo, and people are just afraid to talk about it. So I kind of want to start with that question, and I think I'll, uh, I'll turn to Anna to start. Anna, why do you think that is the case, and why are people so afraid to talk about it? I think that that's something that um, people perceive themselves or can even perceive other people as um, like something's wrong with them and like there's something broken within them and like um, that weakness is really uncomfortable to um, like that perceived weakness is really um, an uncomfortable thing that evokes a lot of fear Um, and people often don't like to talk about things that make them uncomfortable Um, and we don't we aren't really taught from an early age like how to actually go about having conversations about mental health. Um, So there's just a lot of stigma around um, what mental health is and um, it's seen kind of as like a personal failing um, in a lot of ways. 
so from that, you know, is, is that why people are so afraid to, to talk about it and, and or Liz, Liz or Anna, I don't know which one of you wants to, to go from there. Yeah, I think that there is, we've come a long way, but I do believe that there is a bit of a stigma around the idea of mental health, um, struggling with mental illness, mental health, anything like that. It really can, I think it comes across as if you're broken is the dialogue a lot around it. Um, and there's a lot of fear and vulnerability. It looks like you can't handle something a lot of times. Um, and like we've, like I said, we've gotten a lot better in the language around mental health, but there's still a lot of ways to go. Um, I think there's still a huge fear of admitting that sometimes we need a little extra help in the areas of mental health. Mm. Okay. Just like going off of that, like um, not being able, unlike a physical illness, like, like a broken arm or something, we can't see. Um, oftentimes we can't see the implications of uh, mental health struggles. And so I feel like um, without it being that visible, tangible thing, um, it can seem like it's more of a reflection of who you are as a person and like more tied to your identity. Absolutely. Mm. Well, and, and I do want to say to both of you, you know, I, I think that this is uh, a topic that, you know, does fit this, you know, it can be seen as taboo, but um, it, in this, in this space right here, you know, I want you guys um, to feel comfortable saying really anything. This is a dialogue. You know, I, I, there's no right or wrong answer here. Um, you know, to the people who are going to listen to this, they are going to hopefully gain something from both of you, you know, but at the same time, um, you know, I, I label you as experts, but I understand too that I don't want to put a pressure on either one of you that um, this is something that as a society, we're continuing to understand. And I think that you both could um, speak to this, that it, it's been a huge development in the way that it's seen in our society over the last 10, 20 years. I mean, it's just greatly changed from, from what it once was. Um, you see it with a lot of things, even um, especially with, with addiction. You look at how um, the Catholic Church uh, will label uh, addictive behavior and just the mentality before compared to now. Um, of course, this is totally off topic, but I'm just, I'm just trying to say to both of you, you know, let, let's continue this, uh, this dialogue and um, feel free to just be open to say, Anything that's on your heart, along with you know what we've we've talked about beforehand. Um, I guess the next question I want to ask you is kind of going with what I was just discussing, you know, about development and how how the field has changed. Um, Liz, you know, as you look at it, what developments have you seen over the last ten years, and are you hopeful that it's going to continue to grow? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do have a lot of hope that it will continue to grow. Over the last 10 years, we really have seen people becoming more aware um, of just their own mental and emotional health. The language has shifted. I mean, if you look on social media, there are so many things out there about self-care, about vulnerability. It really is becoming more um, a, po a popular language that's being um, spoken about among our society now. So I really believe, just as I've worked with adolescents and adults and now children and family, the push through mentality that we've seen maybe 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, is turning more into a check-in mentality. How are you doing? Um, and really checking in that whole self-care. Self-care is thrown around so much now, which is great. I mean, people are really being more aware of how they're doing emotionally. So I do believe that has been a huge change 
Um, I think another thing that's been really great in the last 10 years has been accessibility to mental health care. Um, telehealth is huge now. So being able to access a practitioner through um, your computer, your phone, video, it's awesome. It's definitely for people that don't have the means to get to that practitioner. That's been wonderful. I mentioned social media. There are some awesome, awesome just blogs, um, Instagram accounts, every resource out there on social media to really just help you sort through any emotional or mental health issues you're having. Um, and overall, just the language about mental health, we've really come to a person-centered language, really checking in with yourself. And it's less about identifying with the illness and more about acknowledging that the brain really is part of the body. You know, I think that we've come to a greater understanding. There's still work to be done in that area, but we really are recognizing that the brain's an organ. It gets sick. And like Anna said, it's not like a broken arm. We can't actually see it, but it's so important to recognize that it's a piece of our body and it needs healing as well. Mm. You did. You did say something though that I, I wanted to to go with. You talked about um, this mentality or this, you know, self care. Do you think sometimes that word gets thrown around too much or misused? To um, sometimes, you know, it, it, as an excuse for people's behavior, or am I, I? And I know I didn't. I didn't preface this question beforehand. I, I just think it's something that's very interesting because I hear that all the time. I love that. Yes, that is such an important question. Um, yes, I think that the word self-care has been, while it's being used in a positive way in a lot of ways, I think it could be misrepresented as well. With self-care comes accountability. So we cannot just rely on self-care. Oh, I'm self-caring right now. I'm self-caring, but not taking ownership. True healing has both. We need to take care of ourselves. We need to take that time to heal, take that time to get to know your heart more. And we need to have accountability for our actions. So in therapy, a lot of times we'll see this dichotomy happening where we're giving, you know, um, distress tolerance. So giving skills to really self-soothe, giving skills to take that time, not feel selfish for taking that time, but also holding the person accountable for their actions and really doing some psychoeducation around that as well. So yes, I do think it is misrepresented at times, um, but overall the context of self-care, I like the direction that we're going um, just because it's so important to make sure that we're taking care of um, all the pieces of ourselves. Anna, do you have anything on that or feel free to always yeah. chime in like you? Yeah. Um, so like Liz was saying, I think that um, self-care can oft often be used as like, um, like maybe like um, a way to justify actions or to even like procrastinate with things of like, okay, I'm going to engage in some self-care, which I totally can um, fall into as well. Like, okay, this is self-care, but I'm just like not doing things that I need to do. But I think that being able to, true self-care is being able to examine everything that you you have going on and being able to prioritize correctly um, and like be able to register when you need to um, take a break and, you know, to be able to kind of like a little bit of a reset. But like Liz was saying, like some of that psychoed is needed around that for sure. Mm -hmm. and, and on, on that you know, I think as we talk about this topic, and I should have asked this earlier, I'm sure that, you know, part of what we're talking about, you, you understood this and became passionate about it. Uh, can you guys just tell why you even entered the fields you're in? You know, I think as we've talked about this, like I said, I should have asked this at the start, but 
Um, I do think it's important for context for the people who are at home listening uh, to this to this podcast. So if you guys don't mind sharing that, I would I think I would appreciate hearing that, and I'm sure the people at home would as well. Um, just kind of a quick summary for me. Um, I have always been really interested, came from a family that's very, um, uh, like prioritizes health, like physical health, um, mental health, all of that kind of, um, all of those things. And so from an early age, I was really interested in um, studying that. And then also in high school became interested in psychology as well. So um, a way for me to kind of combine my interest in nutrition and health and psychology was, and to be able to help people, obviously that's the motivation underlying both of those. Um, so to be able to combine those two interests that I have um, and to be able to help people through specializing in my work with eating disorders, kind of how I saw like a marriage between the two interests um, for me. And it's been a passion of mine ever since. It's beautiful. So cool. Yeah, kind of similar for me with the high school class. Um, I took a high school psychology course, loved it. I just thought it was fascinating. Um, that was a time where I was really trying to figure out what I even liked in high school. And that just stood out to me as something very interesting. So decided to major in psychology in college. Um, and I did not think social work was going to be my path. I was actually very resistant to it. I had a psychology professor that I was doing research under tell me that um, I want to be a social worker. And I actually cried because I was like, that is not what I want. Like, that's not God's plan for me. So I explored it more. I asked more questions. I had a social work professor that I looked up to so much, still do, do to this day. Um, I explained, you know, what I'm really interested in, what I felt like I was calling me towards. And she was like, you want social work. So I took it as a sign and being involved in campus ministry and retreats, that also led me down the therapist road. I just really loved sharing a vulnerability in that way. It just was something I felt really all to do just to answer it so yeah that's why we're here today well that's beautiful i mean uh my mom is a social worker i mean she hasn't practiced in a while but she has her master's in social work and honestly it's uh it's a beautiful calling and i do think it is only certain people can can do it but i uh i like all the social workers in my life so Keep it up, Liz. And my sister's fiance is a social worker too. So that's awesome. Um, so I guess the next question to ask, you know, this is a uh, it's called "Gotta Be Saints." So it would be uh, silly of me not to to tie in the faith to this because I do think the faith, um, as we we know as Catholics, it needs to go hand in hand with this um, because you can't talk about the the mind without without the soul uh, I mean you can but it seems like you're greatly missing something so uh, for you guys how would you say that the faith ties into your pursuit of helping others and then maybe even how does faith tie into this work in general yeah I love this question um, so I really believe that in therapy both as the client and the therapist, we're actively trying to show Christ's love through meeting the other where we're at. Um, if you think about how Jesus 
listens to us. It's in this unconditional way. And of course, as a therapist, it's the most imperfect way possible. But I like to think that we try to make Christ's love known by trying to provide the safety and security. Um, and I just think stories are so powerful. You know, God created us for community. And I think that everyone's stories, sharing your story is so healing. And I think everyone's stories are just so, so important. And by doing so, that can lead the person. You never know where that's going to lead the person. So I just, I find my faith in the people that I meet, whether God is brought up or not. I just think there's so much power in sharing community with each other like that. It's a really beautiful blessing to sit in vulnerability with another person. So I think there's some definite moments where I just feel like, you know, God is present in this moment, even if he's not spoken about in session. Similarly um, to Liz, I think that even, even though faith is, um, I'd say it's not typically brought up in sessions. I, I, I see it as an opportunity to be able to sit with someone and to respond to like their pain with love and acceptance, which we like Liz was um, kind of pointing to, um, we often see Jesus doing in the gospels. And yes, of course, we're not going to do it perfectly like he would, but um, being able to even just sit with someone and hold their, hold that space for them to be able to bring up um, the, the wounds that they have and to be able to not be pushing them to change who they are or um, to be condemning, but to be accepting of where they are. And then also to, um, but don't, but not leaving them there in their pain and helping them to um, get the tools that they need and the support that they need to be able to move from those wounds into a place of healing. Mm. And, and I think this, this goes, I, I, you guys might've both heard me talk about this before, maybe not, but um, you know, that this mentality or this, this thought process that um, if you haven't heard it from me, you've heard it from someone else, but we all, we all have a desire to love and to be loved. And um, for many of us, they never, people never have uh, the opportunity to, to experience that love from others because they're just not shown it. Um, and so to have um, the faith brought in either very concretely or not, you know, either said or not said, um, it's, it's noticed, it's recognizable when you are the face of Christ, you know, when you're encounters with these people when you're able to listen to them with with sympathy but also with empathy when you're able to just um, sit with them and be present hear their story you know they're they're going to be directly impacted by that I know uh, when I was in college I was fortunate enough to go to Panama City Beach for mission trip and to go and hang out with all these partiers you know people that are there for any act of debauchery they can possibly think of premarital sex drugs getting drunk the whole nine. And yet, you know, I, I talk to these people every day and honestly, I didn't usually bring up the faith. I didn't even bring up God. And a lot of these people, I kid you not said to me by the end of the conversation, there's something about you. And it wasn't me, but it was my ability or the Holy spirit working to allow them to see God in me because for the first time in that week, somebody actually cared about them and was not looking to them for use. And I'm sure you guys experience this when you are meeting with clients, when you're meeting with these people who all they know is hurt and pain, or at least that's a big part of their life. 
And so to finally sit with someone who cares about them for however long it is uh, that you're with them, it means the world. And you're able to be Christ to these people in such a real way that is uh, something that, you know, I hope you both understand the impact you're having because I know the people that are there are greatly impacted by it. And it's, you know, you're truly changing their lives in a very real way. Um, I, I guess now um, what I would ask the next question would just be, you know, looking at terminology in this field, I, I can say that it confuses me personally sometimes where I find myself, I'm like, even with both of you, I'm like, yeah, we're talking mental health, but what do I really know about each title that comes with that? So I guess I, I want to ask you guys, what's the difference between a counselor, a psychologist, uh, and a psych psychiatrist, you know, what, and then what are you guys, um, if you could just hit on that so that the people at home are like, I'm sure some of them are like, you're such an idiot, Brendan, but others are going to be like, whoo, praise God he asked that question. Man, did I need some of that info. Yeah, it gets really confusing. There are a lot of titles out there, especially if you were seeking a therapist, you'll see a lot of letters behind a lot of different names and it gets confusing what's what. Um, so I am a licensed social worker. So social work is one of those degrees. If you have a master's in social work, it can get you to a couple different avenues. It's not necessarily a clinical role or therapy. There's a lot of other roles you can do as a social worker as well. Um, but being a therapist is one of those roles. So what that looks like is you start with your licensed, um, it's called something different in every state, but LSW is what's called in Ohio. And then you work towards your independent license. That's what I'm currently doing right now. So as a social worker, um, my studies had more of a social justice approach to it. And I can serve in several um, clinical settings as a therapist. Okay. Yeah. And um, I guess I can speak to the psychologist versus psychiatrist, which I know that a lot of people get confused and I can barely um, say the word so thank you yeah <laughs> yeah no worries um I still have family members that just a few weeks ago were getting confused of what I was going to be um so it is it's it's hard to keep straight for sure um so a psychologist um has uh, a lot of training in the research um, side of things but also as well in the clinical side so we have a, a healthy balance between the two um, and we can do things um, like in addition to like what a counselor or social worker can do, we can also do things like um, do testing, provide feedback, um, really uh, be immersed in the research literature, be conducting research, being able to um, have kind of a, a solid foundation and being able to evaluate um, what evidence-based practices are going to best inform treatment. Um, and so that's a psychologist and then compared to a psychiatrist, uh, they are um, trained in med school. So they are MDs. Um, they rarely, they typically um, don't actually provide therapy. They are more on the medication side of things. So um, they can provide psychiatric medication, um, but are more um, like medication um, management mostly. Yes, thank you. Yep. <laughs> I was going to say pillsy, but that sounds better. <laughs> pillsy. And yeah. psychiatrists work directly with therapists and psychologists. It's collaborative care. So gen not always, but a lot of times when we're seeing clients, they typically 
have medication management sometimes with PCP psychiatrists. So it's, it's a whole person treatment. So a lot of times they're in a lot of collaboration with their practitioners. Okay. Well, and if anyone, oh. go ahead. Oh, I forgot to mention I'm a psychologist. I'll, I mean, I will be a psychologist. But. Okay, so you're not doing out the pillsies. No pillsies over here. Okay, pillsies, nosies. <laughs> Good to know. Go somewhere else, Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> so now, I guess from there, if, if, if I'm someone dealing with anxiety, depression, addiction, eating disorder, um, what are the first steps? Where do I go? How do I do it? I mean, I think it can be overwhelming, right? It, how many times do you hear someone who is 28, 30 years old, they've been dealing with something for 10 years and they have never been receiving any treatment for it? You know, you and I, we all know friends of ours who are in that situation. They've never been diagnosed, but they deal with these things. Um, what are the first steps? That's an awesome question. Um, I think the first step is kind of checking in with yourself, asking yourself, you know, how is this impacting other areas of my life, whatever it is you're struggling with. And sometimes it could be something that doesn't seem like a big deal, but if it's something that is crossing your mind daily or weekly, it might be something to address. And it might be something that somebody else from a professional standpoint can really help you tease through. So I think first, that first step is really check in. Like how often is this bothering you? How often is this seeping into other areas of my life? Um, and then the next step from that is seeking out social support. I encourage everyone, talk to your friends, talk to your family if you're comfortable. Um, it's okay to ask for help. And I will say that over and over and over again. It does not- Can you mean say it again? <laughs> it's okay to ask for help. Um, it doesn't make People you in the back. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. And it really, that, um, it really is a good example of vulnerability. You might be inspiring somebody else to do the same thing. So I really encourage that as a step. Um, and then Anna, if you want to take the next part of that. So kind of like what, um, building off of what Liza just said, looking at something we call um, functional impairment. So looking at how um, this, whatever it is, this certain area is impacting other areas of your life. Like how does this, like, um, does this, is this hindering my ability to get my work done? Is this um, interfering with my ability to maintain um, healthy relationships and to be connected with other people? Is this interfering with my ability to, you know, concentrate, you know, um, even seeing how that impacts your spiritual life as well. Okay, if I have this thing kind of constantly coming up um, and it getting in the way, whether it's like mental space or even just taking time out of your day or um, preventing you from really being able to engage in um, these relationships that are important to you or the work that you might love, whatever it might be. Um, so I think that that's a really important part of looking at how this is impacting um, every area, all the different areas of your life and like all the different roles that you have as, as a person. Um, and then I think that then it's uh, important to uh, be able to start looking for recommendations, whether it's from like Liz was saying, whether it's in that initial social support, asking other people if they have seen um, providers that have been helpful that they can recommend um, also looking at um, you know like there's a lot of different resources you can check with your insurance 
to see what providers they cover. Um, it, uh, there's a, a website, Psychology Today, it's kind of a good basic place to springboard from of seeing what people are in your area and what they specialize in. Um, and also looking at if you have a, um, a specific uh, problem that's been coming up that's um, really specialized, kind of more at, like, in, like a specific problem in particular, oftentimes you can, even speaking from the research side of things, you can often look to the local university by you, because um, oftentimes there'll be research labs that are running clinical trials that are looking for um, participants that are struggling with what you're struggling with and will oftentimes provide um, specialized treatment for free. So that's also another good resource for people looking for even, um, you know, um, like if, if finances are a consideration as well. And I, I do want to say this to anyone who's listening at home. I am going to ask these two wonderful women to send me the links for any resources that they think of. I'll put it together in a blog and um, they might have to think about this, but if they're allowing me to even put their notes that we've got here or edit them to a certain extent to give the notes out, um, I do know that I think for a lot of you, you're probably at home jotting down all these things that they're saying, but uh, it might be helpful too to have these things um, in a written format. So I will put that on the blog on the website. And so if you're interested in pulling all this information, don't fret, I can get it uh, to all of you. And I do wanna, I, you know, you guys are the experts. I'm, I'm a storyteller, so I do wanna share a story. Um, it's kind of a sad story, but I do think it, it hits on um, what we're talking about here and just the importance of following through with what Liz says about getting help. Um, so this was, I think back in 2015, um, I don't know if you guys know who Chris Christie is, but he's the senator, Republican senator in uh, the state of New Jersey. And he is huge on um, reform and how we handle uh, mental health. He's, he's big on this mentality that we need to get away from seeing people who have um, addictions or problems, you know, for alcoholism, uh, looking at medical uh, or medicine, you know, abuse, uh, addiction abuse. And, you know, instead of putting people in jail for these things, uh, finding ways to help them to find help, um, taking, you know, the necessary steps. Uh, but he shared a story. So Chris Christie is a lawyer and he went to, I believe, Rutgers University for his law degree. And he was telling a story about a friend of his. And this guy was just the top of the class. This is the guy that, you know, just everyone knew he was the smartest in the room. And naturally following his time at Rutgers, he went to a practice. And soon after he became partner, he had a beautiful wife. He was a good looking guy and he took care of himself. So he biked every single day. Uh, he had beautiful children. Everything in his life was, was looking great. And he had a biking accident to the point where he had to get surgery. And the man went in and he got surgery. And the doctor prescribed him some pain medication. Thinking this will just be for a short season. I will get over it. And then I will be back 
to my normal self. Well, it turns out that he developed an addiction and he started taking more pills and more pills and he couldn't get the pain away and he couldn't stop taking, he couldn't stop abusing. Within about two years of that accident, his wife had divorced him. He had lost his job at the practice and he basically had stopped being the person he was. He was a shell of himself. He went to rehab and he came out and he ended up at some point taking medicine again and he ended up dying of an overdose. And the whole point of me sharing this story is he was never able to fully overcome this and he didn't find the help that he needed. And, you know, this is a man who his friends didn't even know he had this problem until they find out, you know, wait, he's getting divorced. Wait, he's not working at this law firm anymore. He didn't talk about it. He let the problem persist. And he finally did try to go get help. But with many people who go to rehab, they do relapse. And he wasn't able to get back on the horse. And so to Liz's point of it's okay to ask for help, I don't think it can be said enough. It is okay to ask for help. It's necessary. And I said it's a sad story, but I'm sure for every sad story there is, the girls could share an even more positive one of somebody who did find help and reconciliation was able to overcome these things. And that's uh, something that I think we have to um, have to understand. But with that being said, as Catholics, you know, I think sometimes you hear it from your parents, maybe not your parents, but people you know, they'll say, well, can't we just pray it away? Like, I've got a problem. Why don't you just go in front of the tabernacle? And don't get me wrong, prayer is key. Um, but I do want to ask you guys, why can't someone just pray? What's, what's the uh, response to that? And also, if you have anything to say about the story I just shared, we can pause. Sorry, I should have provided a little bit more of a, a, a landing ground there. No, Brendan, thank you so much for sharing that story. Um, yeah, no, this is such an incredible question. And while prayer is key and vital um, with, for our relationship with God, for personal healing, all of it, I do believe that therapy is so vital. It's so important. Um, God created therapy. I mean, God gave us this gift of therapy to be in community with one another. And if we think about the brain and we think about the brain as an organ that needs healing, what a beautiful gift to come into community with each other and promote that healing. Um, I think that is something that is really unique that God wants us to use. He wants us to be, um, in conversation with each other to help discover, to help grow. And while prayer is there always to fall back on God, sometimes we need to lean on each other and in our humanness to help heal and to help grow. So when you say, you know, why can't we just lean on prayer? I think that God will wants to lead us to each other to help heal and to help figure out just other, just struggles just other things that are going on in our life. Our stories are how he makes himself known and we need to understand our stories and what better way to help understand our own stories than by leaning on each other. I think also like, um, of course, like God can 
perform miracles and there can be an abundance of grace that can be poured out on um, different kinds of, you know, um, problems and whether it be mental health or not. Um, I think it, it's similar to um, the question of like, why wouldn't, why would we go to a doctor when we um, have like the flu? Why wouldn't we just pray? Why wouldn't we just pray? And then our flu will go away. Um, so in the same realm of like how we would respond to that question of like, okay, God has given us like advancements in medicine and doctors with like knowledge and tr like uh, knowing how to be able to help us. Same thing is true for mental health. Um, God's provided, um, you know, uh, people that specialize in different problems that um, people are, are experiencing in order to, and um, that is such a gift, like Liz was saying, such a gift. And to be able to um, use the, the ways that God has provided in the world, um, even if like they might not be like a Catholic or Christian provider, but um, it is still a way that God can provide healing to another person um, and to be able to seek that help that we need from people that like know, know how to facilitate that, um, which goes beyond beyond just praying about it. Mm. So, so with that, then I guess, um, what would you say are the differences between therapy um, and then spiritual direction? You know, for, for those of you at home who uh, don't know what spiritual direction is, I know that for some, that's not a common term, um, but you know, it's an, that opportunity to meet with uh, someone and really go through your spiritual life. Um, what would you say the difference is between between those two things? First, I, I would want to say is there definitely can be overlap between the two. There can be things that come up that would come up in therapy that also would come up in spiritual direction that um, may be impacting both both areas of your life. Um, uh, but one, so spiritual direction is primarily concerned with. Um, you know, your relationship with, with the Lord, as opposed to therapy, really concentrates on your mental well-being. And while spirituality can definitely be um, a component of what's talked about in therapy and, and woven into um, woven into treatment, um, it, it doesn't have that unique focus on your relationship with the Lord and improving it um, in that specific regard. Absolutely. Yeah, we kind of look at our ourself as a pie chart, emotional, spiritual, physical. We kind of see the two being side by side with spiritual direction and therapy, healing the emotional self and attending to our spiritual self with our relationship with God. Um, and I'm undergoing spiritual direction right now. And I actually had kind of the opposite reaction of like, isn't that just therapy? Just because I am a therapist. I was like, I don't really get spiritual direction. I was learning more about it. And as I've come to kind of figure out what it is, it really is about strengthening and healing um, yourself, of course, but also strengthening your relationship with God. Um, the spiritual director acting as that liaison to help you just find that relationship with the Lord. Um, so like Anna said, they can definitely overlap, but there are differences between the two. Mm. And do you guys think that, because I've heard people say yes, and I said no, I, I would guess, venture to guess that you would both say 
that everyone could gain something from from therapy. Do you guys agree, disagree? I'd love to just hear what your thoughts are. I'd say yes. I think so. And the reason I think so is I do hold the mentality of that therapy really is for everyone, no matter what you think you're struggling with, think you're not struggling with. It's an opportunity and an invitation to dive into a deeper sense of self. That's really what it is. And someone is helping you do it. Um, One of the best visuals I was ever given is if you have a ball of yarn and there's like a lot of different colors in it, what the therapist helps you do is pick each one out and look at each thought and think of each emotion. <laughs> um, it's just such a wonderful opportunity just to get to know yourself better. I think that it's, yeah, it could definitely be um, a really powerful and life-changing opportunity. And something else I want to plug really quick that has to do with just kind of first steps of therapy in general is if you decide to see a therapist and you're not vibing with your therapist, you are allowed to find another therapist. Do not feel guilty about it. That is what we are here for. It's like trying on a pair of jeans. Not everyone's going to fit right. It's going to take a couple to find the person that you're supposed to be with to process things with. So just wanted to throw that out there for our listeners. It's definitely okay to go through a couple therapists if you're seeking one. Siri, set reminder to order new jeans. (laughs) the waistline you know changed recently go ahead hannah um and similar to what liz was just saying um if you if you don't find that like you're like totally vibing with your therapist that doesn't mean that therapy can't work for you i think that's really important too of like highlighting the fact that if you try going to see one person and you're like oh didn't wasn't wasn't feeling it wasn't what you needed that doesn't mean that therapy totally completely 100 percent will not work for you there's so many different ways that people can go about, you know, they're like how they, how they approach therapy as the therapist. And so just because even if you've seen like three or four different people, just it, that doesn't mean that therapy doesn't work for you. And um, to your question though, Brendan, of um, if like everyone, I think I definitely agree of like everyone can benefit from therapy, but I also want to caveat that with that doesn't mean that you have to be in have to or need to be in therapy forever. Um, I feel like people also have this idea of like, okay, like they, they're just going to get so many things like uncovered that like, when are, when are you ever going to be able to stop? But um, I think it's also important to, to be able to recognize that like the point of therapy is to, um, I tell this to my clients all the time of like, I want you to get to the place where you don't need me um, so that I can help you become your own therapist so that, um, you have the tools and the skills that you need, even if, even if you have, even if you do come back um, for the same problem or a totally unrelated problem somewhere down the line in the future, which is totally fine. But I want to give you as much um, tools and skills as I possibly can, while also being able to, um, you know, hold that space. Like I said earlier, of like being able to hear a person's story, but um, being able to equip them so that they are able to um, go out, go throughout the rest of their life, and possibly like just in and be be their own therapist, basically at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think to that I've said this a million times in my life: self knowledge is key. You gotta come to learn to know yourself which i mean is going to you look at the lives of the saints and that's kind of the the thing that they provide us is they just know themselves so well they know their littleness and 
they turn to the Lord and, you know, they also turn to the physical people that he put in their lives. You know, if it be spiritual directors, counselors, friends, family, whatever, uh, they, they had people to go to. So I guess now my, my final question for you guys is just final thoughts. Um, anything that you feel like you really want to hit on, um, that we haven't, we haven't necessarily talked about or just, you know, kind of wrapping it all up. And two, to that point, I'd love to have you guys on again and again and again and again. So y'all are most welcome back. This is just the start. Thanks, Brendan. I think my only final thought would be don't be afraid to ask questions about what therapy is, what mental health is. Seek out, ask questions to friends, family, and peers. If you know a friend that's been through therapy and they're comfortable sharing, if you want to learn more, um, there's never, you know, a bad question when it comes to this topic. Um, and uh, I think I, the only thing I would add to that is um, don't be afraid, like we've talked about earlier, of like, don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, and also just like being able to be persistent in finding what you need. Um, if you're not getting what you need with a specific therapist or even just in like doing it by yourself, if it's like not enough, like being able to recognize that and, um, um, you know, um, yeah, getting what you need from therapy. Lovely. I was thinking about singing, can we just talk? Can we just talk? But I'm going to spare all of y'all. Um, well, thank you guys. Uh, and now my, uh, my two gotta be saints questions. So firstly, y'all, what's your, who is your Mount Rushmore of saints? You can have one, you can have five, doesn't matter. Who's your go-to saint? I, go Mount Rushmore would be first St. Therese of Lisieux, um, in particular, cause I love the, the little way and it, makes the idea of sainthood a lot Are you talking about this little way? Like the little little Therese that's your niece? Just, yeah. Just got to follow her. Follow her around. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be golden. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, just love the idea. Um, definitely had a, a friendship with her since um, college because of just how... Um, she just makes the idea of sainthood so much more um, attainable and like realistic for me and like less intimidating, I think, with that little way. Um, and then I'd add St. Bridget of Sweden. I'd recommend 15 prayers of St. Bridget for anybody to do if you're interested. Love those. Um, and then also St. Dimpna, um, patron saint of mental health. It's funny you mentioned St. Bridget. Literally, I talked to someone today who I also recorded a podcast with, and St. Bridget made her list. So you guys are two peas in a pod. It's a very small pod, just two peas. There's just no more. No. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Liz. <laughs> You're good. My Mount Rushmore of Saints, probably Mary Magdalene. I just think her story is beautiful. You know, it's a story of healing, God's abundant love for us. Um, and really it's just, her story shows it's never too late to make a change in your life. So I just think that's really beautiful. Well, and this won't be recorded right this week, but it won't be put out this week, but just celebrated her feast day two days ago. So it's always a winner. 
and then my last question for y'all, and I just always love hearing the responses people have for this. What are you going to be the patron saint of when you're one day in heaven, just chillaxing? Well, I think mine would be either patron saint of frozen yogurt or patron saint of adventurers. Mm. Adventuring, something like that. I'm having a rough day. St. Anna, give me some Froyo. Froyo Turn up the street and there's just a Froyo place. Love that. I am there for you. Thank you. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, I would say patron saint of storytelling. I just think it's so important that everyone has a story to share. Um, And research shows that healing can come from sharing your story there's evidence that says that being listened to can have the same reaction in the brain as feeling loved. And I just, just think stories are so cool. You learn so much about people that way. So storytelling it is. To be understood. What a great desire. Well, thank you to both of you for, for being on this evening. It has been a joy. I think all the people who are going to listen to this are going to find much to think about and hopefully gain some beautiful insights. I know that I did. And it's just cool to be able to call you both my friends and to be so blessed uh, to just know such amazing people. So thank you guys once again. And uh, to everyone listening, have a wonderful night and God bless.